Good morning. Um, we're starting a series today that, that will lead all the way up to Easter. And the, the beauty in that is that we get to center in on some scenes, on some pivotal moments in this final day, the final three days of Jesus' life that often just get wrapped in with the Christmas story, or the Easter story. It's not Christmas, guys. <clears throat> that often just get wrapped in with the Easter story. And I don't know if, if you do this, but sometimes when I read Scripture, I don't pause long enough to shake it outside of my understanding of how the world works, my understanding of tradition, my understanding of what a meal would be like. And so today, we're going to look at the upper room, we're going to look at the Last Supper. And the question I want to ask at, at the start is, if today was your last day on earth, what would you do? Who would you go and talk to? What would you say to that person? Who, who would you make sure to go and visit? What place would you make sure to go and spend time? Because Jesus knew he was heading for the cross. And these were the things that he chose to do. And he chose to say certain things. And he chose to not speak up at different other times. And we're going to look at today, specifically the upper room in this Last Supper. This Last Supper that, that we look at every year, that if you've been in, in church for any amount of time, you've definitely heard this story. Even if you've only come to church around Easter or Christmas, you've probably heard this story. And so it's become very familiar. But if you're like me, I think that there's more here that we can uncover. And hopefully in all of these things, there's more here that we, we can uncover. And so today's message is going to be a little bit different than most messages. Most days, when I'm preparing a, a message, I want it to be like you can, you can grab onto something and it immediately changes the way that you live and walk in the world because we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We're called to live a different life and that invitation into a new and different life is so incredible from Jesus that that each time we gather together, we should center around how should, our, how should our lives change? How should we understand the world differently and go out and show a, a dark and dying world that Jesus came to be hope for them? But today we're going to look at the depth of a story. Because there's the surface level understanding, there's plenty at the surface level, but there's more underneath each story, an, an inexhaustible depth underneath each story. You could not outstudy and completely grab onto everything that Scripture has for you. And so if you walk away today with nothing, know these two things. One, that Jesus chose the cross. And he did so intentionally to set up a kingdom of God that would reign forever and that would, he would invite people into. He chose the cross to save us and invite us in to be his people. He made that choice and he did so intentionally. Number two, that there is, like I said, an inexhaustible depth to Scripture. That you can read Scripture at surface level and every time you interact with Scripture, you can get something out of it. There is no time that you go to Scripture and not get something out of it. There's something on the surface, but there's also more underneath the surface. You could spend a lifetime studying Scripture and not exhaust all of what God has for you. Hold on to those two things as we go through today. My hope is that we all can, can picture with vivid clarity what was happening in this room and why it was so significant, what Jesus was doing, what he was attempting to do. 
that we'd be able to put ourselves in that room a little bit and understand the way that they would have understood according to their context, according to their history, and according to their traditions. And so with that sort of preface, uh, you know, out, would you pray with me before we, we begin? God, we are blown away by the gospel story that you chose to leave a throne in eternity and come and be among us and amongst the dirt, and that you lived a perfect and sinless life, and that you chose the cross in order to defeat death and sin and raise again, inviting us into a new life. And so, God, we pray that as we look at this story, that we wouldn't lose sight on what it's all about, the fact that you love us enough to choose something like the cross so that we could have life. Help us to hold on today to that hope that we have in you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so we're going to read the whole story from Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30, just so that we're all on the same page, because probably not everybody in the room has read these verses, but this will serve as sort of the, the foundation of the story. And the cool thing about the Gospels is there's four Gospels, three of which are called synoptic Gospels. They tell sort of the same story from a slightly different perspective. And then John has his own take on things. And so the three synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they, they tell this story from these different perspectives. And then John just comes in and writes about what he wants to write about uh, in Jesus' life. But, but what we're going to do with this story is the the take in Matthew is going to serve as the foundation, and then we'll layer on what we see in the other Gospels and what we know from the tradition of the Passover feast and what we see in the Old Testament. Sound like a deal? All right, well, here we go. Matthew, 7, Matthew 26, 17 says this, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations to eat the Passover? Go to the city to a certain man, he said, Tell them, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the di disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, surely not I, Lord. And he replied, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. And so Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Lord. You've said it, he told him. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them. And said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. It's so like we said, this is a, this is a Passover feast. And Passover feast is this incredibly important tradition uh, in he Hebrew culture where it remembers the exodus from slavery starting at Exodus chapter 9. 
And there were certain things that had to take place. It would be this, this long meal. It would take three hours or so. And the father of the family would, would tell the story. And so Jesus and his disciples, Jesus takes on that father's role of leading this dinner because certain things had to happen at certain times and he would have led it with obedience and he would have led it with these structures in place up to a point. Because what we're going to see is that Jesus takes these existing structures and traditions and and changes them to, to do something. Jesus uses his last supper to set the stage for a new covenant to set the stage for a, a new promise. And so they would be in this room, and they, they wouldn't sit around a table the way that we sit around a table, you know, at a chair with a table. They would have lounged around the table, leaning on one side, grabbing um, from the, the food that was uh, in the middle, in, in the table. And there were these things that had to happen in a particular order. This, this meal, this Last Supper meal, was, uh, this Passover meal was a Seder meal. And Seder just means order. There was intentionality and order into what happened in this meal. We find the contents of the table in Exodus 12.8, which says that the table would have been set with unleavened bread, roasted lamb, and bitter herbs. And all of these things and and all of these traditions that that they're going to do go to help tell the story of what God has done for his people about how he had saved them from slavery. And so once the table was set and the preparations were made, as we see in the story, Jesus would have stood up from lounging at the table and taken a cup, filled it with wine, and filled everybody else's cup, and they would have stood up, and they would have given an opening blessing. And this was the first of four cups that they would lift on that night. And the four cups lifted represented a promise from God. The promise from God found in Exodus 6, 6, and 7, which God says, Therefore tell the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. You will know that I'm the Lord your God who brought you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians. And so with these cups that they'll raise together, each one had traditions assigned to them. And Jesus follows the the cup format, but he, he changes certain things at each one. And so Jesus raises this first cup and cup number one was the, the cup of, I will bring you out. The cup of sanctification. Cup number one was for the promise that I will bring you out. So they raise this cup, which represents the promise that God would bring them out. And after they raise the cup and give the offering, the father would then go and get a wash basin and a towel. And before the meal, he would wash everyone's hand which would serve a symbolic gesture of I'm washing my hands, I am innocent, just as we were seen innocent on the night of the Passover, but it would also serve a very functional role of washing the hands of the disciples that night because, you know, don't eat with dirty hands, guys. It's just good advice. But Jesus does something different, and we see that difference represented in John 13. Look at John 13, verses 4 and 5. So he, Jesus, got up from supper. He laid aside his outer clothing He took a towel and he tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet 
and to dry the towel with them. And when you read John 13, you see that the disciples did not appreciate what Jesus was doing. They said, no, you're, you're not going to wash my feet. We should be washing your feet. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to bend down. I'm going to wash your feet. He, had to, he would have to kneel. He would have to pick up their feet, and he would have to wash their feet. And this would symbolize that this kingdom that Jesus is establishing is one built on selfless service. It's not about how high you will rise in this kingdom. It's about who will you serve in this kingdom and will you allow yourself to be served in this kingdom. And it's this powerful example, even today, of humility, of service, of selflessness. And I'll never, I will never forget one year at camp when we had this whole thing planned for all the students. You know, I was one of the leaders and we had planned this experience for the students where they would go and they would wash each other's feet and they would serve each other so that we, it would be a sign of we're going to leave this place in unity, serving one another so everyone gets taken care of and we can go and we can make a difference in the world. And this is a powerful thing that was happening in the room. And I'll, I'll never forget because I was standing in the back watching, worshiping, praying when f- four guys... A particular set, four or, more, four or more guys, they had a whole crew. Guys came up to me, and they were those guys. The guys in the student ministry that would sit in the back of the class and who would tell their parents that they didn't want to come to Bible study because the way I did Bible study was boring. And I know that they told their parents this because their parents told me they told them this. And so we had to have that conversation But these guys came up to me and they said, Adam, we want to wash your feet. And we've gotten everybody else in the student ministry to come and do it with us. And I remember thinking, just like Peter did, no, not me. No, this is for you. It's not for me. But then I I thought about it and I I let it happen. And I'm glad I did because in the kingdom of God, which Jesus establishes this selfless service kind of place. When, when everybody serves, nobody gets left out. Nobody can walk along the back of the wall and be left out of what's happening in the kingdom of God because we all see each other. Nobody's invisible anymore. Nobody's left behind. No sheep gets stranded and out. They get to brought back into the herd. Everybody's seen and everybody's valued and everybody's heard because Jesus himself knelt down and washed the feet of the disciples. And then he told them to go and do the same. And he tells us to go and do the same. Serve one another. Love one another. And he's just setting the stage. I will serve you in a way that you're going to be uncomfortable with, but you absolutely need. I'm going to choose that. And so this difference is jarring. The disciples are already a little bit like, okay, I thought I knew what Passover was. I don't really know what Passover was because I was supposed to get my hands washed and he went to my feet. I'm pretty sure Jesus knows that my feet are not my hands and he, like all this stuff and they're, they're probably thinking like, this isn't, exactly right, right? Because there was an order to things. But then, in the meal, the youngest male would serve the role as the question asker, which everyone with little kids is like, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
but the youngest male would ask these questions, and these questions are four specific questions, but they all served this purpose, was to, to drive the story along and ask the main question, why is this night different from other nights? And it would set up the father to be able to tell the story of this incredible thing that God had done for his people. He had brought them out of slavery through divine and miraculous intervention. He had stepped in and freed them and made him... Uh, made them his people. And so as they, they have the story, they go into cup number two, and cup number two is, I will deliver you from slavery, which is the main story being told on this night. And they lift up this cup. And at this part of the service, there's this antiphony, this sing-song, this uh, call-and-response sort of song that would happen in the room where the father would say something and then everybody else at the table would repeat back and they would repeat back a very specific word and it was dayenu and dayenu means it would have been enough and so the father would talk about what God had done for them to take them out of slavery step by step there are 15 stanzas in this uh, in this antiphony and and after everything that the father says the the whole group would say back dayenu meaning it would have been enough or it would suffice it would have, it would suffice for God to have done this thing for us and so if you would humor me um, I'm going to read them in English uh, and you're going to respond back in English. And so after the promise that I say, if you could just respond back in English, it would have been enough. Deal? All right, we're here anyway. So, if he had split the sea for us and not taken us through on dry land, if he had led us through on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors in it, if he had drowned our oppressors and had not supplied for our needs in the desert for 40 years... If he had provided for the needs in the wilderness for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, and if he had fed us the manna and had not given us the Sabbath, and Jesus is leading in this song, reminding people, you're not lost because of an, a lack of effort on God's part. And he's probably thinking, it should have been enough. Because God has done a lot to bring you out of your lost brokenness. It wasn't because God stopped trying. He over and over again in their history had done things to save them. And their own sin had led them back in to become astray. Their own sin had left them lost and wondering. And Jesus is saying, it, it should have been enough, but it wasn't enough. And I will be enough. And so let's not head into the story of the cross. Not head, let's not head into the story of Easter forgetting everything that God had done to try to save his people before the cross. Because he had done a lot because he loves and he cares for his people and he wants them to be restored and redeemed and he would do anything and he did do anything so that it was enough and we could walk in a new and a completely changed life. He would be enough. He would choose to ultimately bring people out. And they would sing this song. They would sing other songs. They would sing uh, five different psalms on that night, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And so if you're one for studying after a message, read those, those psalms in the context of being at the Last Supper. 
and just try to put yourself in, in that room and singing those songs. But they would have sang one, Psalm 113 and 14, and then they would have started to eat sort of the appetizers. Remember I said that the table is set with uh, unleavened bread, roasted lamb, and bitter herbs. All of those things are there very specifically, and they're to help tell the story. And so at, at this part of the meal, after the second cup, they would be breaking the unleavened bread, and they would be dipping it in the bitter herbs, much like um, horseradish, that, that like when you eat it, you're like, hello, I just ate horseradish, right? Like you can't hide that in anything, but it would be the pure stuff, not that cut stuff that Arby's did. It's the pure stuff that makes your eyes just go, wow. And they did that on purpose. That bitterness was intentional because it would bring tears to the eyes of grown men, hardened by life. You couldn't avoid it. And in fact, you're supposed to eat the bitter herbs until your eyes were tear-filled. And this is the context with which Jesus says, Matthew 26, 21, they're eating these bitter herbs. And he says, while they're eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And so they're remembering the brokenness that the bitterness of sin brings into human existence. They're trying to put themselves in that context. And Jesus then drops this bomb at the dinner table. We've all been at that dinner table, right? When somebody tells you something that you were not expecting, and we're like, okay, we're talking about that right now. And so all of them are like, no, not, not me. And Jesus says, the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl will betray me. And Judas says, surely not I. And Jesus says, you said that. I didn't say that, you said that. It was the bitterness of sin. Very tangibly on that night and in our lives that sent Jesus to the cross. And it should bring tears to our eyes that it got that far because of our selfishness, because of our sinfulness. It wasn't Judas's sinfulness. It wasn't Judas's betrayal. That wasn't the reason we needed the cross. We needed the cross long before Judas betrayed Jesus. We need it because we have sin in our life, and it's so bitter, and it should bring tears to our eyes. But that's why Jesus chose the cross, because everything else up to that point had not done it. It wasn't enough. It should have been enough, it, but it wasn't enough. And so Jesus had to go and fulfill this prophecy, and he had to go and be broken on the cross. And so they continue to eat. Imagine continuing in the meal after Jesus is like, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. Okay, let's eat the lamb. <clears throat> but they continue eating, and while they're eating, Jesus picks up, another cup. And this is where things really, really take a turn. Because up to that point, everybody has a cup. The father fills his cup, and then he fills the other cups, and they lift their cups together, much like a toast, and they remember these promises. But for cup number three, cup number three is this promise, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And here we're head into the part of the story that we're most familiar with. We talk about it every week here. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and the juice and he poured it out. In Matthew 26, 26 and 27, 
says these familiar verses, which says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat, because this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after saying thanks, he gave them the cup. And he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This cup, Jesus didn't drink from. Because this cup, Jesus would become. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and this is what you have to agree with. This is what you need for salvation. It's my broken body. It's my blood shed. And he didn't drink from it, but he handed it. He offered everyone the invitation to drink from this cup, just as he would offer all of us the invitation to drink from this cup. He will redeem us with an outstretched arm. There is no bitterness and sin that could separate you from God if you choose to accept what God has done for you on the cross, his broken body, his blood shed, his body whipped and beaten and bloodied, him heading to the cross, scorned and mocked and rejected and booed and spit on and him hung on a cross with mockers looking on also that we could be brought back to God and so that he would redeem us with an outstretched arm. And we know that this is the cup that he's talking about in Matthew 26, 39. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, but it wasn't possible. This is what Jesus had to choose. He shows that his kingdom is about selflessness. He shows that it's about service. He shows that, it's, that there's this bitterness that's still in the world that shows up very tangibly on that night. And then he says, you drink from this cup. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. He knew what he was headed towards because there's an order to things. And he knew what he had to accomplish. And so even though we would fall short he would stretch out his arms to save us. Even though we would choose sin, when he offers us a better life, he would break his body to save us. Even though we would fail over and over again, he knew that nothing else would bring us back, and so he chose the cross so we could have life. And that's the story we celebrate every week But it doesn't stop at the cross. It doesn't stop at Jesus offering his life to save ours. Because there's a fourth cup. And cup number four is I will take you as my people. I will take you as my people. I will call you mine, my children, my chosen, my beloved. Because this sin that had separated us I'm going to take care of that on the cross. In this kingdom that's being established, I will come through in absolute victory. In Revelation 19, if you're going to study later, Revelation 19 paints the picture of the victory that Jesus is going to have in establishing his Father's kingdom. But he will come through and he will take us, us, you and me. I know me. I don't know if I would choose me, but God chose me. He says, I will take you as my people. And in the midst, in this context, He's saying to the disciples, something is different here. I'm not taking this cup anymore. So in Matthew 26, 29, Jesus says, But I tell you, 
I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's holding off on cup three and cup four because we're living in between. And we get to choose. Will we be that representative? Will we be the ones walking in that new life until Jesus' return? Will Will we be the ones telling people, you don't have to fall short anymore. There's hope for you because of what Jesus has done for you. He wants us as his people. Can you believe that God wants us as his people? That he chose us, that he calls us significant, that he calls us sons and daughters of his. Yes, even though you've done that. Yes, even though you think that sometimes. Yes, even though you had that interaction with that person or that thing happened, he still wants and chose you. And he did it on purpose. And he did it with intentionality. And he's showing us that there was this one promise. But now there's something else. I will take you as my people. Matthew 26, 30 says, After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And remember, they had to sing Psalms 113 through 118. And so the last hymn that they would have sang at the Passover feast is Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 20 through 24 says this. And Jesus would have been singing this this night. This is the Lord's gate. The righteous will enter through it. I give thanks to you, God, because you've answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It's a wondrous sight. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He's about to enter the most pivotal day in human history where he would be beaten, where he would be forgotten, where he would be mocked, where he would be scorned, where his flesh would be ripped open, where his blood would be spilled out. And he says, this is the day the Lord has made because this is the day that people can come back to God. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it because this is the turning point in human history. A revolution will break forth from what I'm about to do, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Yes, I know that my friend's going to deny me. Yes, I know that my friend is going to betray me, but I'm going to rejoice and be glad because this is the gate the righteous will enter through. I will be that. And so every week, we take time to take communion. And we want to do it in a way that's a little bit different and that disrupts the way that we normally do communion. Because Jesus disrupted the the way that they normally did Passover. And so we have stations up in front. And so during this song, as you're listening to the words and as you're hearing this core message of communion, when you feel ready, just come up and take the bread which represents the body broken and the juice which represents the bloodshed and remember the cost now for some in the room getting up and coming to a station is not going to happen that's too hard don't let those people be invisible in this room Jesus washed his disciples feet we can take communion to someone and so notice in this time Not just your own need for communion, not just your own need to remember what God has done for us, but everyone else's need also. 
and serve and be served. And remember that we serve a king who said, I will take you as my people. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Will you pray with me? God, we're blown away by what you did for us. Help us to never forget the cost. And over these next few weeks as we walk, as we sort of crawl up to the story of of Easter, help us to understand more completely what was happening on that pivotal day in human history. But God, send us out this week with a fresh perspective on what you've done for us and a fresh courage to, to tell people about the life that you offer. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we start this song, we invite you to come forward and, and partake in communion. If you wish, you can take it back to your seat as well, and we'll give you some time at the end for some quiet reflection after the song is over. So would you come forward?